ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. If you are new to Tabernacle or just joining us, we're doing a series in Romans called In View of God's Mercy. And in the book of Romans, um, we get what is arguably one of the most thorough and, and specific uh, descriptions of God's mercy to us in Jesus. And so as we understand that in a clearer way and, and get a bigger picture of what that looks like, uh, we also are praying that as our lives are transformed through the gospel that more people can see God's mercy uh, to us, demonstrated through us. And, and that's really the whole uh, perspective that we're approaching the book of Romans from. So we're in chapter 3 and we're going to repeat some of the verses that we were looking at last week. Um, really because these are, these are the go-to verses in many people's minds that describe and, and articulate what is justification by faith? What is redemption? What is, uh, you really even hear, hear the word propitiation. These are these $5 theological words that, um, that can sound um, old and even a bit stuffy until you realize they actually... They're actually very, very practical, everyday concepts. Uh, we just don't always use these words to describe them. But let's, um, let's stand in honor of God's word, and I'm going to begin in verse uh, 21 and read through verse 31. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this faith. This faith that's been revealed to us through Jesus and has been given to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, and gives us a salvation that we could not earn for ourselves. Would you show us what a life that understands that and lives in response to that looks like? And would you free us from ourselves and from our sin so we might bring you glory and that others might see your glory through us? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, Kathy and Sarah are away this weekend. They're um, doing a, a 
um, Sarah's at Virginia Tech doing like an accepted students orientation weekend. She's trying to figure out, you know, am I going to go to Virginia Tech or maybe you know, she's going to go to UVA or maybe she's going to go to JMU or wherever. You know, Michael's going through the same decisions, like where's he going to go? And the, the thing about a college decision, if you go to college, you have to say, all right, I'm going to go to this school and not this school. And so for Sarah, she's got to decide, I'm either going to be a Hokie <laughs> Or I'm going to be a Cavalier, or I'm going to be a Duke, you know, um, et cetera. And, and that's, our choices open up access to some things, like, hey, I get to be, you know, this. And they close the access to other things. That's just what choices do. And we have to live with those choices. And when the gospel comes to us, it comes to us with a choice, and, and God says, well, look, you can either follow the law of works. You can just kind of keep on trucking like the way you live your life and do your thing and try to measure up and be a good person. Or you can live according to what Paul describes here in, um, in verse 27 as the law of faith, which is a little bit of a curious term, the law of faith. What is the law of faith? We don't know what the law of faith is. But the law of faith is this whole way of doing life that closes down to us the options that we have if we were to do the law of works. If you do the law of works, if you try to gain access to God, and if you try to live according to the law of works, if you do that successfully, then you get bragging rights, you get to feel really good about yourself, you uh, get to... Uh, tell others, you know, how, how good you're doing. All those things you, you can have. And that's, you know, if that's what you want, you can try to get that through the law of works. But if you do the law of faith, then that excludes those things. The law of faith means you don't get to boast. The law of faith means you don't get self-righteousness. The law of faith means hypocrisy is, is excluded. You know, it's like, when you go down a road or a highway, sometimes you'll see those signs that say, hey, you can't turn left here. If you're on this road, that means that excludes that option. If you're on this road, you need to slow down coming up here because you can't go fast. You're going to hit these speed bumps and it's going to destroy your vehicle or whatever. So you remember English class, like what was it, 10th grade, Robert Frost? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and I chose the path less traveled and that has made all the difference, something like that. You got to choose. And one path is going to make all the difference compared to the other path. And the path of the law of faith means no boasting, no self-righteousness, and no hypocrisy. What's Paul mean by that? Well, let's talk about boasting, how the law of faith, this principle, maybe that's a better description, better way to understand the law of faith. The principle of faith means that boasting is excluded. Um, we got to do a little bit of review from last week, if you're with us. You know, just be reminded, and if you're just joining us, uh, here's some important things from verse 23 in particular and following. Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We talked about how sin is not just, you know, the things we do against one another, not even, not even really, really um, major sins. Um, but sin, to be properly understood, needs to be understood just in a, in a cosmic scope from a theological perspective, which really means that what sin fundamentally, when, when we sin, we're sinning against God. 
Yeah, we do lots of things against each other, and that's our primary context for sin. That's how we understand it. But if we really go to its core, sin is always and every time a sin against God. It's, it's casting off our creator. He gives us life. He says, here's how I want you to live your life. And we go, nope, I'm not going to do that. Sin is treason, high treason against the king of kings and lord of lords. Um, we get that in our country and in any country. You don't treat a traitor the same way you treat a traffic violator. Um, they're different, and a traitor is serious, sober stuff. And Jesus um, says he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And when we say, I want to live my life the way I want to live it, not the way my king wants me to live it, that's treason, that's traitor, uh, that's, that's betrayal. Um, the Bible also describes Jesus as a heavenly husband. We're the bride of Christ. He's, he's our groom. Um, think of sin as hooking up with the world and being unfaithful to our heavenly groom. Think of sin uh, as having our father in heaven and like the prodigal son saying, Dad, I, I don't want to have anything more to do with you in my life. I want your stuff. Thank you very much. I'm going to go live the way I want to live. That's, that's sin. And we've all done it. And that's why when Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's what falling short of the glory of God is. Sin is always God-oriented. And, uh, and so there's a problem, right? And then God goes on in, uh, through Paul in Romans 3, says that all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And boy, you get a lot of really great theological words there. Justification, redemption, propitiation. Um, all three of those exclude boasting. If we understand what those words mean, they, they mean that we cannot brag about ourselves because Jesus gives us a relationship with him, a restored relationship with him, by his grace. He does it for us. He, he justifies us. He does that for us. Um, God justifies us by saying, um, by declaring, uh, Essen, you're not guilty. Even though I know I'm a sinner, even though you know I'm a sinner, even though God knows I'm a sinner, God says, Essen, you're not guilty. Now, this is important. Does that mean that God makes me righteous? Justification, does that make somebody righteous? Because we've been saying here that God says or declares. It's important to know that justification does not make me a righteous person. It just means that I get a righteous status. Um, think about condemnation. If, if a judge declares the defendant guilty, if he condemns him as guilty, what would you think of a judge who condemned that person even though he knew he was innocent? That would, that would be a bad judge because that judge is doing something that that person um, because of who they are and what they've done, they are innocent and the judge is condemning them. The judge isn't making them guilty because that person actually is innocent. The judge is declaring him guilty. And in a similar way, we're going to explain this and flesh this out in a little bit further, when God justifies us, 
He doesn't make us just. He doesn't make us righteous. He declares that we're righteous. And that's, that's something that we can't do for ourselves. If I know I'm guilty, I can't justify myself. I can't say, well, I know I'm guilty, but I'm actually innocent. You should, you should consider me innocent. God has to do that out of his grace. That's, that's something that the, the guilty person doesn't have that prerogative. That has to happen outside of them. And that's why justification is an act of God's grace to us. And it's something he gives us freely. Same with redemption. Redemption happens as a gift. It's God's grace to us. He buys us back. He pays the price uh, for our freedom. Um, listening to an ad from one of those uh, payday loan places, the car title places, Loan Max or whatever. And, um, you know, this articulate, uh, attractive woman, she says, hey, take charge of your life. Take charge of your life and, and pay off those nasty, annoying little loans by just coming on in. You can, you, you can keep you know, driving your car, but we're just going to, you know, we're just going to ask you to sign the title of your car over to us, and we're going to give you some money, and unless you pay us back, we're going we're to keep that title, and then we're going to repossess your car. You know, I can't, I can't redeem myself. If I'm in debt, and if I've got debtors over here, and I've got collection notices, and they're beating down my doors, and I run over to Title Max or Loan Max or whatever, and I sign away the title to my car. Great, they give me money, and I pay off my debtors over here, but guess what? I'm still a debtor. All I've done is just transferred who I owe money to. I still owe money, and actually I'm worse off now because of the interest rate, and then I won't have a car, and then I can't get to work, and so, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm still in debt, and I can't redeem myself, but if Jesus comes and says, I'm going to pay your debt for you, then that's redemption. That's grace. It has to come from outside of me. I can't manufacture that for myself. And go to that third term, propitiation, which sounds like, what in the world? What is that? Think about satisfaction. That's another way to understand propitiation. Because, like justification, remember the, the judge who condemns the innocent person? Like, what do you mean? You can't do that. He's innocent. Well, for a long time in the history of the church, people that, that when they get how, how the Bible describes God's justification of us, when he says, I'm going to treat you, even though you're guilty, I'm going to treat you like an innocent person, they go, how can a fair judge do that? That doesn't make sense. And you go, well, it's not just that God justifies us. He also satisfies the law. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Jesus atoned for our sins. He made a satisfaction that reconciled God back to us, that took care of his anger against our sin. The same anger that you or I experience when somebody deliberately, willfully, you know, disrupts the relational harmony, you know, sins against you. And they, they do it fully knowing what they're doing. And, and you go, what in the world are you doing? And there's a rift in that relationship. You even get angry. And it's okay to be angry when somebody sins against you. Um, God gets angry when we sin against him. He provided Jesus to take his anger for our sin away, to satisfy justice. Justice was paid. It was finished. Jesus took our sins on himself, died on the cross and rose again from the dead, meaning that it's paid, it's done. All, all the, 
the penalty for sin has been taken care of. And that's what the propitiation is. That's what all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to. Jesus, who would satisfy the law, take away the guilt, and bring us back into a restored relationship with God. And Jesus did that for us by his grace. We couldn't, we couldn't do that for ourselves, right? That had to be something that he did. So that when God then says, I am going to declare you, even though we all know you're guilty, I'm going to declare you righteous. I'm going to, that's not going to be imaginary. It's not going to be fictitious. It's not going to be something that's just made up. It's real because of the real righteousness of Jesus that then gets transferred to us. God looks at us the same way that he looks at Jesus, obedient, loving, faithful, glorious, and so on. That's his grace to us. Um, John Frame puts it like this. What's the basis of God's declaration? Why does he declare us to be righteous? Please be very clear on this. It is not because of our works or even our faith. There is nothing in us that deserves justification. So, justification is a free gift of God. It is entirely and absolutely by grace. Which is why Paul then says in verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. There's no boasting. You and I didn't contribute anything to it. We can't boast in it. So to kind of understand this in a better way, let me, let me bring you back to um, um, when I was in elementary school, we used to have uh, field day, and uh, they'd have all these games and stuff. You do the three-legged race and the piggyback race and all that stuff. So let me, let me kind of demonstrate a couple of things here. Um, let's, do a, let's do a three-legged race. So I, need a, I, I wish I had some volunteers to demonstrate a three-legged race. Oh, John and Isaiah, would you mind? Look at that. They're ready. Here we go. Three-legged race. Woo, cheer them on. Go, go, go. Our winners. Thankfully, they didn't have any competition. Uh, so um, I, I have a little trophy uh, for the Klinger boys. Uh, this, this was from our, our Young Life 5K, um, which, by the way, is in two weeks. We can do another 5K. So... Um, they're a team, and they both were kind of working together, working hard. They're, they're the winners. Actually, you know what I think? I think because both of them were working really hard, they each get a trophy, right? So there's John's and Isaiah's. Yeah, all right, good job. Um, I love it how when the, the, in the Olympics, all the members of the relay, they all get a medal to wear because they all contribute. They don't have to share the medal. You know, you all shouldn't have to share the trophy. You each get a trophy because you both worked hard. Now contrast that with the piggyback race. And I just happen to have another couple of willing volunteers, Michael and Lydia, and, uh, oh, careful. <laughs> and they win the piggyback race. Can I borrow one of those trophies? <laughs> just, yeah, thanks. So now let me ask you this. Would it make sense to give this team two trophies? I mean, if we're nice and if we're in a culture where everybody's a winner, right? Yeah, they both get two trophies. But let's be honest. Lydia, as wonderful as she is, did she really contribute anything to this? I mean, she was just along for the ride. Michael gets the trophy, right? Yay, Mike, you're good. But... As we think about the gospel, 
what, what justification means, what redemption means, what propitiation means, is it means that Jesus did all the work for us. And then we get to get in on his victory, his work, so that Jesus, out of his kindness, shares the, the victory with us. Michael, share the trophy with Lydia. <laughs> so that Lydia gets to be considered just as victorious, just as, we'll use the word righteous, as, uh, as the one who carried her. So thank you guys uh, for your help. And this is going to be an awkward walk back for John and Isaiah. Um, <laughs> Um, so let me just ask you then, which, which of those two models describes, or would you say um, is a picture of your understanding of the gospel? Are you, you know, pulling your weight and helping out and partnering with Jesus to get across, you know, that finish line and into the kingdom of God? If, if that's the case, then by all means boast, you know, yeah, you get some of the glory, right? And, um, and so on. On the other hand, if it's all by grace, and if it's what Jesus has done for us, then it's really more of a piggyback race. It's more of what he did for us. And that is why when you get to the end of the Bible, you get to Revelation, and over and over and over again, the anthems of heaven are pointing to Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest who is God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I mean, just the, the hosts of heaven are looking at Jesus and giving glory to him. They're not all, we're not patting ourselves on the back. In the, in the kingdom of God, there aren't going to be, um, you know, the, the stickers on the backs of the car, 26 point, you know, what, two? Uh, of everybody that ran the race and accomplished it in their own strength. All the hosts of heaven are, you know, basically going to be pointing to Jesus when we get there. Uh, that is why there's no such thing as boasting if you're living according to the law of faith. If you're living by the law of faith, self-righteousness is also excluded. Um, going back where in verse 20 and 21, Paul says, By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So if we're living by the law of faith, no human being is going to be justified in his sight. We are going to have a righteousness that comes apart from the law. That's really important. Paul repeats that expression in verse 28. We hold that, no one is, that, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Uh, if I could have gone back and um, we could have reprinted the bulletins, I, I realized after the fact that it would have been cool to show you in these 10 verses or 11 verses, the nine separate times that Paul uses that expression by faith, faith in Jesus, faith, 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 faith. One time he uses the word believe. But it's in a really, really important point that he's driving home here in, these, in this passage that everything is by faith. And so therefore, there's no self-righteousness. We're putting our faith in someone. It's, that's this whole point is that we're justified by faith. Well, faith in what? Well, it's faith in Jesus. Not faith in faith, not faith in religion, not faith in spirituality, but it's faith in a person. It's a faith in Jesus. 
And what that faith looks like, for, to, to use an, a parable or to use a picture, it's, it's a piggyback race. It's getting on, climbing onto Jesus and trusting him to carry you. That you are admitting, just like I admit, I am his burden. <laughs> I am not contributing. I am a burden to be born by the one who says, I will carry you. I love you, and I'm going to carry you. I'm going to to carry that burden just like I carried the cross all the the way to Golgotha. Now, um, when you think about the law and we think about self-righteousness, if we want to live by the law of works, well, lots of people try that, and that's our default mode, even everybody in here. We want to do this on our own. The problem, though, is that the Bible tells us that the law of works means that it's a pass-or-fail exam. Um, in, in James chapter 2, it says that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Uh, it's, like, it's like when I was 16 years old and uh, like every other person in school, we, we were all watching the space shuttle Challenger take off, uh, January of 1986. And... What happened a minute and a half into that launch, uh, after the space shuttle had, uh, had made that initial, um, got to whatever that altitude was, and then it kind of turned on its back and went at an angle, and then <clears throat> the whole thing blew up. And all lives on board were lost. This nationwide moment of trauma as everybody realizes what's been lost in that, in that explosion, in that moment. And after they had done all the recovery of the wreckage and, you know, done all the forensics and, and so on, they realized what had happened was that a O-ring seal around one of the solid rocket boosters had failed. And it's actually an interesting uh, thing to see the culture of cover-up, you know, and failure of accountability that resulted in a, what they knew was a failed O-ring. being on on that rocket. But all that to say, the the space shuttle is such a, to to launch something like that is such a complicated thing that all of those pieces have to be perfect. And if one of them is wrong, it's it's lethal, it's fatal to the whole project. That's this picture of the law. You know, if we miss it at one point, it's fatal, it's lethal eternally to our whole project of self-righteousness. Now, the analogy breaks down, of course, because obviously we have successfully launched lots of space shuttles. And so somebody might think, well, I'm going to be the one that gets it right. No, you're not. None of us can, can measure up to God's standard. And so we need a, another righteousness, something outside of ourselves. And that's where Jesus says, I'm going to live the perfect life that you can't live. And I'm going to live it for you. And then I'm going to give you the benefits of the life that I've lived. And that's what excludes self-righteousness. We're relying on Jesus' righteousness. Paul says that the law of faith excludes hypocrisy uh, at the, uh, the end there. He says we actually keep the law. We uphold the law. And then later on in chapter 6, he's, he sort of repeats himself. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, right? So... What Paul's saying is that the law of faith excludes hypocrisy. We don't have to cover up. We don't have to hide. We can be honest about the places where we fail, and we can have integrity 
as we seek to keep the law lawfully. You know, and let me explain what that means. Nobody, uh, nobody enjoys being around a hypocrite. People aren't impressed uh, by Christians whose lives are full of sin and, and, uh, and selfishness. Just like uh, people, uh, people around me are not impressed with me when my life is you know, sin and selfishness. My wife is not impressed with me when I'm selfish. My kids are not impressed with me when I'm selfish. You are not impressed with me when I'm selfish because I, I stink. It's my spiritual body odor. It's my hypocrisy. I'm not the only one in this room with it, though. We all, we all tend to do this. We all plan, sort of play this game that we measure up when we really don't, and we want to act like we're justified in ourselves when we should be relying on Jesus. The problem is that the law is something that we're to keep, but not in order to justify ourselves. We're, we're supposed to keep the law in order to love. So what ends up happening, though, is that the law, uh, by somebody that keeps the law, they're trying to keep it in order to be proud, and that's how a legalist views the law. And another person, you know, will look at the law and think of the law as something to ignore in order to, to feel like they're free from the law's requirements, and that's what a liberal person would do. But instead, in the kingdom of God, the law is intended to teach us how to love. The law is intended to teach us how to love. The law shows us how to love the Lord, how to love ourselves, and how to love our neighbor. It doesn't, it doesn't give us new life but it shows us how to live the new life we've received by grace. It shows us how to live that new life eternally, internally, externally, in all the different facets of, of our lives. Now, which leads us to kind of thinking about what has also been called the law of love. The law of faith leads us to keep the law lawfully, and if we keep the law lawfully, we're not keeping it to justify ourselves, we're keeping it in order to love others. Paul, in verse 29, he gets to the end of his argument here, and he says, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. And then the Jewish people in Rome, as they are hearing this letter being read, they go, what? God is one? Yeah, that's, that's our statement of faith, all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So our whole series theme here is that in view of God's mercy, we want to live a life where people can see God's mercy through us. And so here, is, you, you could say that in view of God's mercy, we uphold the law. So when, when, the, when the Jewish community in Rome hears this letter being read to them and they hear Paul saying God is one, they're going, oh, Deuteronomy 6, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then Jesus quotes that when somebody asks him to summarize the law. What's the law all about? What's the greatest commandment? He says, well, the greatest commandment is to love. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Do it, do it properly, rightly. Well, it's a good thing for us to think about why we keep the law. We know the law is important. You know, we, sh we know we shouldn't ignore it. We don't want to you know, be uh, liberal in that sense. 
Um, we also know that we can't keep it in order to justify ourselves, so then what do I do with the law? And how do I keep the law? What's the, what are we, how are we to obey it? And um, we're either going to obey it for the sake of myself, or I'm going to obey it for the sake of another. If I obey it for the sake of myself, I'm doing it to justify myself. If I obey it for the sake of another, then I'm doing it to love. Why should we keep the law? Why does it matter? Is it to be right? Is it in order for me to feel like I'm a right person and I want everybody else to know that I'm right? Or is it to be a loving person? Because in the law, God shows us how to love. This is how to be equitable. This is how to treat people fairly. This is how to show respect. This is how to serve. This is how to, you know, fill in the blank. The law is there to teach us how to love. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, this famous love passage, Paul says love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. Oh, the law of faith, the law of love excludes boasting. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Oh, love is not self-righteous. It's not selfish. Self-righteousness is excluded. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It's genuine, and hypocrisy is excluded by love. Hypocrisy is excluded by the law of faith, which teaches us to keep the law not in order to be proved right, but in order to love the people around us. So we don't keep the law for ourselves. We keep it for God's glory. We keep it to serve others around us. And we keep it in response to the grace that he's given us. When you and I uh, do something good or nice or kind, or when, we, you know, when, when we're doing the right thing, so to speak, are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for others? And here's a couple of triggers, a couple of tests uh, that we need to keep in mind. Do I do something that I know, you know is consistent with my walk? When I do something right, Am I intent that people know about it? Do I, do I just kind of look for clever ways to, to hint, to point out, to shine a little bit of light on the good thing that I did? And if I'm doing that, then I'm not understanding the law of faith. That means I'm keeping the law for myself because I want people to see what I've done. I want to boast in what I've done. Uh, if I do the right thing and I'm expecting somebody to acknowledge me or thank me, you know, if I tell Kathy, um, hey, honey, I, I, did you notice that I did the dishes tonight? Right? You know, can I, get, can I get some props? Can I get a little acknowledgement here? I'm not doing that for her. I'm not doing it for the family. I'm doing it for me. So how often are the things that we do done in order to get other people's praise, in order to feel righteous about ourselves. And then lastly, we should be thinking, you know what, am I, am I the same person in front of others, and the things that I do and things that I don't do in front of others in order to appear to be a good person, am I still that person when nobody's looking? Because if I'm not, then what I'm doing out here in the public eye is really for me. I'm living by the the works of the law rather than the law of faith. Faith that Jesus did everything that I need for me. And in response to that, riding piggyback on him, 
then I can use the law to love people, not to serve myself. Paul, um, to another church, this time in Galatia, says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, the law of faith. They all kind of overlap. Bear one another's burdens. When I want people to acknowledge that I'm a good person, that I did the right thing, I'm putting a burden on them. The the burden of justifying me. And no human being, apart from one, no human being can, can truly bear the weight of the burden of my justification. Only Jesus can bear the weight of that. Instead, if Jesus bears the weight of my justification, if he says that I'm right, if he approves of me, then I am free not to put burdens on other people. Hey, tell me what a good person I am. Then I'm free to carry their burden. I'm free to tell them, hey, hop on. I'm going to carry you. Piggyback. I can be an example of Jesus to them, the one who loves them and serves them, instead of demanding that they serve me, but tell me what a great person I am. So let's rejoice in Jesus, his greatness, the lamb who was slain, who takes away my sins and yours and everybody who has faith in him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you take our sins away, that um, you justify us, that you redeem us, that you make atonement and satisfaction for the wrong things that we've done. I thank you that you don't ask us to add anything to that work. Indeed, if you did, we we wouldn't be able to. Instead, you call us to hop on and you carry us and all because you love us, because you're gracious and merciful. I pray that you teach our hearts to receive that grace and that mercy, to boast in you, to find our righteousness in you, to live consistently with the, the law of love and to learn how to use the law in order to serve others and to bear their burdens. Lord, we pray for any here this morning who are just Maybe this is connecting the dots for them for the first time. And we thank you for that and pray that you would help them to rejoice in this understanding that you really carry them rather than asking us to participate and share the burden. Lord, we give you glory uh, for growing in each one of us the ability to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. We pray you continue to teach us how to do that. In Jesus' name.